Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup-to-nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of On the Side with yours truly, Jackie London. I am thrilled to be here. It is February and that's bleak, but also great because I just felt like there is no time like the present to do a solo episode that is all about trends and predictions in food, nutrition, wellness, and fitness and what we're looking at, where we're going. It is my second solo episode, guys. So today, we're just going to take it slow. We're going to ease in <laughs> to some things here. Okay. A few things I want to just share with you up front. So the idea behind this kind of trend forecast and prediction forecast of 2022 and looking ahead to, to what's happening in the wellness space and where I think a lot of the interventions at the consumer level in prevention really stand to, to benefit us is that, you know, I used to do this all the time when I was at Good Health housekeeping and when I was working in media and I used to do this also as part of a role at a corporation. And before that, when I was working in a hospital and in private practice, there would be trends that would come up throughout my work there as well as in the media space. And I just, I always find trends to be so fascinating because often we nail them, like we'll get them totally right. And then other times we are onto something that usually comes to pass either immediately and then just kind of flickers out. Or it's something that is further on down the road and just kind of takes a long time to simmer. I mean, I can't even tell you how many people are still talking to me about Chia. That was 2015, folks. I mean, honestly, and I was late. Like, that was late in 2015, right? Okay, so all jokes aside, here's the deal. I'm going to use both sides of my brain on this one and tell you uh, I'm going to share 10 10 trends and predictions for 2022. We're going to talk about what the trend actually is, why or how or where there's a wellness angle, if that doesn't seem obvious from what I'm going to talk about, what I like about it from the perspective of a dietitian. And then I'm going to, going to really get into both sides of the coin here and talk about what I like about something for consumers and where it has viability from a trend standpoint and what makes it great, where there's major potential for brands and for investors. So in addition to my like extremely aggressive content consumption and analysis of research and experience as a dietitian and a practitioner, I'm also going to make sure to include something exciting, which is some key highlights from our first 19 episodes of the podcast and the amazing guests who have been on the show and who have shared some of their fascinating insights and inspiration. And um, interestingly, as I was thinking about trends and thinking about putting this together, it really became clear that so many people are talking about the same general themes in their very very unique and nuanced ways. And I think that was, that's probably my biggest takeaway from starting the show. So welcome. This is our 20th episode. If you like today's episode, please, please, please write a review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, Amazon Music, Pandora, wherever you're getting this show. Welcome to On The Side. If this podcast needs some visibility, I'm literally recording this in my childhood bedroom. That's where we are today. We got to play. We got to... <laughs> Kind of base of bills. No, I'm kidding. Okay, guys, without further ado, here's the deal. These are the top 10 food and beverage trends. What's new and what's next in wellness in 2022? What brands and consumers need to know? Let's dive into the episode. Okay, first trend I want to talk about today is 90s nostalgia, but make it meta. And by meta, in this case, <laughs> I really mean like the 90s on steroids because 
steroids in the 90s. But also because social in a social media driven world, we can see that we've got, you know, these 90s inspired comfort food snacks that are coming up in the form of things like cinnamon buns. Remember Auntie Anne's and like the Kraft mac and cheese? I feel like they had that TikTok takeover before the holidays. There's like the various iterations of Pop-Tarts and the reemergence and then decline and then reemergence again of the Twinkie, right? And I I think that's only going to expand in 2022. And there's a lot of different ways that this can go. So I'm starting with this general trend because I think that there's a lot of potential here, but there there are ways to mess this up um, from that wellness standpoint. I'm as I'm recording this, I would be remiss not to share that I'm looking at a picture of myself with my parents from 1993, and I'm literally wearing an outfit that is straight off of TikTok. I saw about 25 different Gen Z influencers wearing this outfit today. Okay, here's the thing about the the general theme of 90s nostalgia for consumers. More 90s, more early aughts. I mean, Spice Girls, anyone? I'm not going to sing for you. That would, that would just embarrass us both. But more 90s, more early aughts, more often. <laughs> the more nutritious versions of some 90s trends that I think we can see more of uh, are going to be the ones that always come back to the same kind of core basics. Are you looking, choosing snack foods that are made from real whole foods, like real cheese versus cheese powder, let's say, when making mac and cheese, when looking for a cheesy snack like Cheetos, um, when making a cinnamon bun-inspired baked oatmeal with less added sugar, um, or when choosing a cocktail like an espresso martini without the simple syrup. I would dare to say that that's a little bit more 80s, but, you know, I mean, it carried over into the 90s, let's be honest. I feel like it was kind of Wall Street-esque. Whatever it is that you're eating, cooking, doing, drinking, consuming, whatever it is, I often come back to this kind of one concept that I wrote a little bit about in Dressing on the Side, and I did a ton of research on for the book, and it's called The Yerkes-Dodson Law. And basically, it's about the topic of motivation, right? A lot of us think that we need to somehow discover motivation. Like if only we could just source that, oh, I think I lost my motivation under the bed or or some such, right? But the idea behind the concept, and, and it's a psychological theory, is that you need some level of motivation to start doing something. In other words, you need some level of stress, some stimulus, some inspo. I also like to call this shtick, right? Like you need some, sometimes you just need a little shtick, but not too much (laughs) because too much can actually lead to anxiety and overwhelm and make the whole endeavor of, you know, getting it up for lack of a better term to do something null and void, right? So whatever, to whatever extent you're able to use any trend and especially something as kind of everywhere as the the 90s are right now, like whenever you're able to use some sort of trend and use it to your advantage, whether that's a 90s inspired boutique fitness class, maybe we're going to step aerobics again. Let's bring it back. I mean, honestly, my mom used to do that all the time. Or maybe it's a nutritious recipe that you discover on TikTok that's 90s inspired. Or maybe it is, I'm just thinking about God, I used to love those mini muffins from Little Debbie's that I would get after school, right? I mean, that's probably a less nutritious example, but like it's a perfect example of something that has roots in something that is nostalgic and comforting and can often feel really satisfying to us. So whatever it is that kind of inspires you, that gets your wheels turning, that makes you think, oh, I think I'm going to wear, you know, not quite leg warmers. Again, that feels more 80s, but I'm going to wear, you know, this like 90s inspired fitness gear to go for my workout today, to go on my run today. Whatever you need that is within your budget and within your personal bandwidth, that is absolutely more than welcome and encouraged. When it gets to be something that you find personally stressful, that's when I would say, that's when we want to kind of pump the brakes, right? I mean, that is a 90s expression, pump the brakes, I think. (laughs) Okay. So think about it, Yerkes, Dodson-Law, you need a little bit of stress to get started. And sometimes that stress, sometimes that kind of external motivation can come in the form of something inspirational, like a trend that you're seeing that is 90s inspired, or maybe it's just any kind of trend that you're seeing on TikTok. If that helps you choose more real whole foods more often, or if it helps you get off your tushy and start moving it a little bit more, then power to you, keep it going. Love that for you. Okay. 
for brands in food, I, I do always come back to the same idea, which is how is a food or product or system or technology, how is it helping you consume more produce more often? So when brands can find a way to bring nostalgia of, let's say, things like rice aroni, Kraft mac and cheese, hamburger helper, these style of concepts, let's throw my little Debbie mini muffins in there, right? Into a more nutritious, more real, more whole foods-based formulation, whether it's a packaged food or maybe it's a recipe that you're coming up with at your restaurant, then the more nutritious that that thing automatically is. In other areas of food, nutrition, wellness, where are they getting kind of included in this 90s rage? I would say, let's just look to some of our platforms like music to dance and work out to from the decade. Definitely had its moment um, over the holidays on, certainly on Spotify's absolutely where I saw that. I would also say when it comes to the home workout trend that's here to stay, like, listen, who did not have a stationary bicycle in their basement from the 90s that is also someone who is in their 30s right now? No one. I don't think anyone had that. I'm just kidding. That's that's totally insane. But I, I mean, you get the idea, right? When it comes to to other home workouts that are here to stay, right? Like we have seen, like what's happening with Peloton? We know it's all over the place. We know, we know, we know. Kind of um, had a had a bit of a dive of late, but is it canceled? I mean, did Mr. Big cancel it or did Billions cancel? What's going on there? In all seriousness, if we can learn anything from Peloton, I, I do think it's there is something to be learned here, and that's that being one note as a product or service, even if you're excellent, which they absolutely are, and especially in the arena of fitness, think about it, fitness, right? It is tough to retain consumer interest and consumer engagement over time. Everyone knows that exercise is good for you, but doing it means meeting people where they are. And often right now, especially people are in a place of just genuine burnout. With, men, with whatever it is that might have been working for them before, it does feel like we have, to some extent, hit a collective wall. So I think that in, you know, and certainly I am no expert in Peloton itself and the company and the inner workings of the company and their product roadmap and all of that good stuff. I'm, I have no insider knowledge of that, but I think there is something to be said for, you know, bringing in new consumers at a moment like this when we're all just like, oh, the Peloton with the pandemic and the whole thing. And we did it at home and Allie loves wedding and this. I, I just can't, right? Like there's a lot of that. So if it's one note, that that can be really hard in the fitness space. And I, I totally hear that, right? Because it's very hard to hit more than one note when you have such an amazing and innovative product and technology. So for all brands in or hovering around the fitness space, I'd look to more robust partnerships that provide consumers with bundles, with bundle offers, which is, you know, leaning into these science-based theories of habit formation. And I, I often talk about this. It's There's one that's major and it's called temptation bundling. I'm not seeing anyone do this yet. And I think it would be awesome to see it, which is a collaboration between any fitness brand and some of these content streaming platforms or exclusives to the platform. I think we could all take a page from a number of different players in this space. So things like Audible or Apple and Spotify podcast exclusives that go with a workout. I mean, am I the only person that feels like true crime was designed for my workout? I don't know. Maybe maybe it's your workout too. I hope so. Um, I'm also looking to the New York Times acquisition of Autumn where you can get article playlists or consider um, you know, how these different platforms where you are able to combine something like regular physical activity with something else that you look forward to or enjoy doing or where can you give someone their time back, right? Like where can you make it easier for someone to include exercise in and around their daily lives? I heard someone, and, and I think it's on an upcoming interview actually, speak to the idea of like the 10 minute workout coming back or like these kind of this breaking it up throughout the day. And I love that so much and I'm really here for it. There's no rule that says you have to do any kind of consistent exercise for a prolonged period, so long as you're getting your heart rate up above threshold, right? Like you want to meet that kind of 30 minutes a day if you're doing moderate intensity uh, level of exercise every single day. So you'd want to get to that 30 minute mark, but that doesn't have to be 30 minutes all at once, right? So where can you take those 10 minute breaks? For brands, I think that's an important place to, to kind of tap into because a lot of a lot of the time, so many of us don't feel like we have those 30 minutes consecutively. So I think that's a really interesting place to start. And that is it 
for now on the 90s front. I think we're going to see lots more of this. I certainly think athleisure is having a moment with that. 90s, 90s inspired athleisure. So that's our first trend, 90s nostalgia for brands and consumers. All right, let's get to our next trend. Okay, trend number two, bio-individuality is the new personalization. I think this is a big prediction to make that is going to permeate a number of different industries, including the preventative healthcare field, um, otherwise known as wellness. Across the space, I'm hearing this word, this bio-individuality word, two words, um, with more context, nuance, and real-life application than ever before. The idea behind bio-individuality is really that healthcare practitioners should be treating individuals as individuals. I mean, finally, for fuck's sake, like there's no, we all know this, right? That there's no one size fits all approach to anything, much less weight management, preventative health, preventative healthcare interventions, boot camps, workout classes, any of this, you know, torture for some, but like beloved by others things, right? Like these things don't work universally for everyone. Instead, I think we're going to see a lot more of a rise in things that are more specifically geared and tailored to your life stage, your life circumstance. And then of course, to whatever extent that we are able to get a kind of roadmap of your own personal uh, genetic history and your DNA. I mean, I am thinking, you know, just in terms of things like, like if you are someone who is at risk for colorectal cancer, then you are likely to be getting a colonoscopy by the age of 45 versus 50, which was previously understood, right? So these are places where we've already started just a little bit more to take into account what bioindividuality means in the actual healthcare space. And now let's think about how we could expand that into the prevention, the wellness-related field, fitness, food, overall lifestyle and psychological well-being. So I think about this in terms of life stage like perinatal uh, or postpartum workouts or postpartum nutrition or perinatal nutrition. Um, I think about a brand like Pvolve, which is amazing um, and doing amazing things that, that really is very, very specific and uniquely tailored to you and what you need. Um, it also then expands into your ability as a consumer to custom order food that's matched to your preferences, your needs, your eating style, your lifestyle. Where are you when you make decisions about food? You guys know I talk about this all the time. Um, and I think the the idea of being able to order anything, anytime, anywhere is just here to stay. I, I feel like we all know that Um you know, there there may be different variations and there may be different ways that we'll continue to customize and update and, and you know, advance where we are right now. But for the most part, these are technologies that have that have improved the way that we have access to the things that help us feel better in whatever way that may manifest itself. So great example of this is like, yes, Instacart, Postmates, Caviar, these are apps that are available to you. These are technologies that are available to you depending on where you live. But the the idea of using these platforms to help you make choices that will help you not just to feel better right now or to, to sort of cope with something in the moment, right? That these are places where you can find really nutritious, really um, affordable options that can help you make it easier on yourself to eat healthier throughout the day and not just in one moment or in one day of meals and snacks, right? I also think that on a deeper level to managing and looking at health needs, like where is there a place in the market where we need to have continued innovation and continued assistance is great example of this is glucose monitors for diabetes management or even pre-diabetes management, right? It's a personal indicator for timing your meals in health technology. Another thing I'm really excited about for both brands and for consumers is is your ability to access a personal MEQ score. I'm going to link one in our show notes today, but the MEQ score is, it stands for morningness, eveningness questionnaire. I can barely say that. Um, but the coolest thing about this, it's basically like a kind of, it's a validated questionnaire. It's a first line of defense to helping you think through your daily patterns and the times of day that you're at your best. So it's really looking at circadian rhythms and tapping into that. It can help you guide your personal sleep schedule, your time management. There's lots of new apps in this category. And I think this is one that we're only going to see continue to grow. So for consumers, again, this is a place to approach with a judicious eye. 
and to be skeptical of, right? Because we're really not there yet in a lot of places. And in places like with a glucose monitor, if you're diabetic, then you already know that that's something you is very familiar to you already, right? But the expansion and growth and innovation in this category just continues to blow me away with how we continue to advance what we currently have and how we continue to adapt. But I think where it's most meaningful for us is how does this help make it easier for me to eat better one meal, one snack, one day at a time, right? Because no one really has the bandwidth to think far out into the future at this very moment, but also we want to make plans, right? Like we want to make, have some semblance of structure. We want to do some planning as Terry Trispicio illuminated me on, right? Like we want to be able to have a game plan. And I think that's probably the, the flexible framework that we're going to be able to work within right now. So anything that helps you make decisions that you know are right for you or that are helping you get closer to where you want to be, that sounds great to me. Um, for brands, I think anything that is in the very hyper-specific, tailored to life stage fitness space or psychological well-being, anything that speaks to the unique individual that is HIPAA compliant and that also is looking at prevention at interventions that really target prevention, both for chronic conditions and for non-communicable non-communicable diseases. Wow, that's tough to say. I think we're going to see a ton of expansion in that both in 2022 and beyond. And of course, anything as it relates to sleep and circadian rhythm, I think we're all aware of how much our timing is affected um, by the season, by time of year, by our climate, by the where we live and what else we do and what we do in a day and what we do for a living, right? We're all very much aware of our time and space right now. I think especially if you are someone who whose um, whole work life has really shifted to being more in one place. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on, but it's really something to think about. Bioindividuality is the new personalization. It's like a personalization upgrade. I think we're going to see that well into the next decade, and we're only at the start of it right now. Okay. Third trend, regenerative is the new sustainable. Ooh, I love this one. I've been trying for this one for a while now, but it, I think it's it's the time, you guys. What is it? So basically, the meaning behind this is that crops that are both good for soil, good for the ocean, good for the air, and and good for the climate in which they are grown are also very often so good for us humans. I like this word so much better than sustainable, right? Regenerative, because I think it really hits the nail on the head. Instead of keeping things sustained, right? Like status quo, what if we thought more about how we really want things to look, feel, taste, and how we want to live in 2022 and beyond that, right? That's why regenerative farming is the new sustainable farming. It really speaks to how we're going to go do something good for ourselves and for the planet through the foods we eat. And there's so much to be gleaned from this category right here and from this concept and, and this farming practice in general. So for consumers, what do we need to know? Right off the bat, I hope that you have been listening to this podcast long enough to know that I am here for more pulses and legumes more often. These are nutritional powerhouses, but they're also great for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. They nourish the soil during crop rotation and also reduce water use. I say pulses and legumes here because I got to give a shout out to the peanuts. I mean, honestly, what can't that fucking little powerhouse peanut do? Mr peanut. <laughs> I'm just remembering that he also had his little TikTok moment at the end of 2021, but I digress. The point is pulses are, you know, the dry edible seed of lentils, beans, chickpeas, and peas. And of course, legumes in this case, I'm also including peanuts. And these are the OG of plant-based nutrition. I think this word, that term plant-based has gotten way overblown and has been totally misused and abused, frankly. <laughs> and so thinking about where can you make choices that include more of these nutritious foods and what are the products out there when you go to the supermarket that you want to make sure you purchase because chickpeas are the first ingredient. Barilla pasta, Banza pasta, they both have, you know, tolerant foods. They've all, there's so many now I could just keep listing them, but I won't because they haven't paid me yet. Hi guys. How are you? <laughs> 
So right there, you know, thinking about things that have um, chickpeas as the first ingredient, black beans, soybeans, God, soybeans. Is there anything the soybean can't do, frankly? I was just looking at the nutritional profile again from someone who should call me uh, of Seapoint Farms. They have this edamame single serve packet. And they're, the edamame for a one and a half ounce serving has up to 20 grams of protein. That's just in one serving. You've got tons of flavor. It's like a wasabi flavored dry roasted edamame. It's incredible. I just think there's so much happening there and there's so much potential for that category. And there's so much more that we can be doing with these types of flours, whether it's baking at home or you need like a wintry day activity with your kids. You want to bake some bread. Can you add a little chickpea flour in there? Why not? I mean, honestly, we could just try it, Brenda, okay? You know, when it comes to the price hike of the of on the other side, right? Like of for beef or for grass-fed beef. I I often give a more strategic approach when working with clients to to kind of prioritize the quality over the quantity of whatever it is that is the most expensive item that you're looking for, right? So like let's just call it red meat here. If you're looking to include more plants and you're stocking up on plants on one side of the grocery cart, then you're also presumably, you know, still occasionally having that red meat included into your daily meals, snacks, maybe not daily. I'm going to take that back into your weekly meals and snacks, into your routine, but you don't want to remove this entirely, then please don't. You know, that's absolutely okay. A plant-based approach to a healthier lifestyle or a healthier eating plan overall does not in any way have a value, a limit, a judgment, a, a numerical anything, right? Like it's really just thinking about where can you include plants more often and where can you swap in a plant-based protein source from a real whole food source more often. So let's say you're taking out you know, that ground beef, let's say it's once a week and you're replacing it with black beans in a dish, then you're, then you're also able to kind of liberate yourself to look for quality and prioritize that quality over quantity when you get to the meat counter right? So I think those are some of the important swaps that this regenerative farming and regenerative agriculture really puts into a neat framework that shows you all that you basically need to know about making choices at the supermarket that are right for your budget, that are right for your bandwidth, that are right for your level of interest in trying more pulses and legumes as your protein source, right? So just think about it somewhere to start. For brands, anything that is based in a real whole food, like those peanuts and pulses, um, anything that is more regenerative that helps our farmers and those who work in in agriculture in any area of the supply chain, I think this is our moment to kind of support both our planet, our land, and, and also support ourselves because there's no downside to having more of these nutrient-dense foods in our rotation and for swapping them from for the higher insaturated fat, red meat, and processed meat. So really important, something to think about. Definitely not a fan over here of Beyond Meat or Impossible Burger, and I will you know, give a shout out to an episode. I want to say that that was in the Lee Schrager episode where we talked about the Beyond Meat or Impossible Burger and whether or not those are good choices. I'm really not a fan. I'd rather you have a veggie burger. I'd rather you see a soybean as the first ingredient, the actual first ingredient, and not have bullshit coconut oil. What what is that doing in your burger? It has no place there. I also think it bears repeating that, of course, there's no way to actually determine the level of impact that you're having when you're choosing one of these man-made burger packs because what else goes into creating this higher in sodium, higher in saturated fat swap for beef, right? Like what, what kind of, how many people have to take their car to work in order to get to the factory that makes these? How much water goes into making these versus how much water goes into traditional farming practices and of beef, right? So these are the choices that consumers are sort of being hoodwinked into making. And yet really, if we just reframe it as choose more pulses and more legumes as a protein source more often and include nuts, seeds, whole grains, real plants, plant-based sources of protein. That's what this term was originally meant to be. So think about what is regenerative, what is best for humans and the world in which humans reside. And considering it through that lens really helps frame how we want to move forward for 2022 and how we want things to look, be, feel, how we want to live um, for the next decade. All right, let's move on to our next trend, which I'm just going to pat myself on the back for this copy choice I made for myself here. Uh, Let's talk about inflation as the new wellness influencer. 
Okay. I'm about to blow your mind right here, guys. Here's the thing. Using grocery pricing, the increases in grocery pricing to our advantage, instead of feeling freaked out about price increases and stocking up on supplies, it can only work to our favor, both from a psychological standpoint and a financial standpoint. And here's why. And when I say that this surprising statistic. I mean, it's surprising and it's soothing. And I I found this today and it blew my mind. And I just thought, this is why I do what I do, which is usually finding the little diamond in the rough (laughs) or the the peanut in the the pile of red beef. I I don't know. Now I don't know what I'm saying. Okay. But here's the thing. I found this surprising and soothing statistic on this topic that I really wanted to share with you guys. And that is because it really reaffirmed everything that I was feeling and thinking about this moment in time with inflation and with so many of the headlines that we're seeing everywhere about, you know, cream cheese shortage, can't get your schmear anywhere, or beef prices skyrocket, or all of these scary headlines that honestly just freak everyone out. We can all calm down. And here's why. According to the USDA, the Consumer Price Index for food, the forecast showed for 2022 the following changes to food pricing. These are not seasonally adjusted ones, but they're they're critical because these are the ones that are available all year long, right? This is for 2022, and this is a direct quote. Forecast ranges for beef and veal, pork and fish and seafood were all revised upward as well as the aggregate categories of meat and meats, poultry and fish dairy products, processed fruits and veggies, sugar and sweets, and non-alcoholic beverages were also revised upward. The forecast range for fresh vegetables was revised downward. I mean, let me just say that last line again. The forecast range for fresh vegetables, the consumer price index for food, was revised downward. Mm. I mean, if that isn't a gift to dietitians everywhere, I don't know what is. But for me personally, let me just bring it back to my core philosophy here of more produce more often, no matter what you're doing. I mean, I could just mic drop right there, but I won't because I already hit the microphone before. Okay. What if we just considered, this is for brands and for consumers, right? What if we simply considered how we can make more produce the star of our plate this coming year? right? In whatever we're doing, whether we're ordering takeout, we're dining at a restaurant, we're eating at home, we're making a different recipe, right? What if we really considered how we can start to use and redefine what it means for us to include veggies with more meals and snacks at every meal and snack that we consume this February, this week, this Tuesday, whatever it is, right? So, Considering how we bring that focus back to plants, and of course, you know, that this is not to say that we should just be surviving on vegetables, although I know you guys are not taking me that literally, um, but I, I, you know, it bears repeating anyway. Thinking about inflation and using that to our advantage, because we know the forecast range for fresh vegetables has been revised downward. So that is going to be the most, first of all, that is an amazing news for the, on the topic of food insecurity and food access everywhere. I mean, that, that's huge news. It's also kind of crazy and kind of inspiring in a weird way for me that I don't feel like I've heard that anywhere. I mean, I genuinely feel like most of the headlines, most of what's dominated the headlines has been about this idea of, you know, these food shortages and price increases. And it kind of, it just, this, this kind of pervasive, it just plays on this pervasive sense of fear and, um, and fear mongering that we're seeing a lot of lately. So let me just tell all of us to do the following, which is to calm the fuck down and have some more kale, Kendra. Okay, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start right there. We're gonna start in the produce aisle. We're gonna start grabbing shit off the shelves and we're gonna enjoy every last bite getting creative in the kitchen with whatever the hell we come up with on the next snow day, all right? Lots to do in the kitchen, lots of work for us to do, but fresh veggies, more involved in your daily meals and snacks and consider making more of your plate filled with those nature's gift to us, those little bits of goodness um, from nature, let's do that this year and beyond. All right. Our next trend, defining and redefining better for you beverages. Okay. What am I talking about right now? First of all, if you listen to the Kate Lemire episode, you know my feelings. <laughs> you know a lot about my feelings on dry January. The category of of alcohol in general, of Alk, of Alkbev, uh, is blowing up everywhere these days. It's also 
really interestingly, the idea of no alcohol alcohol is also blowing up everywhere. And interesting, it's also showing up like all across food trends list, like just, you know, kind of cross-referencing with the old Google over here. Like there's tons of things that are like dry, no alcohol alcohol. First of all, what the fuck does that mean? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm using a lot of F-bombs today. What does that mean? No alcohol alcohol. But that's literally antithetical to what alcohol is, okay? As you well know, I am personally personally not loving what I'm seeing on this front just yet. There are actual health benefits if you are a consumer of wine, beer, spirits, if you're a consumer of moderate alcohol, right? One glass a day for women, two for men. Again, this is always unique to you, your life stage, your, your genetic makeup, your set of circumstances, right? I'm not suggesting that anyone start drinking if you don't already, but critical for us to consider that if you are already a moderate drinker who includes alcohol as a part of your overall health-promoting pattern of eating, then there are health benefits there versus the very minimal health benefits to drinking a non-alcoholic beverage that's marketed as better for you which is really just juice masquerading as like sour mix, right? So here's where I think there's a tremendous amount of potential. And I, I was just listening to a podcast earlier today from the folks at Robin Hood about the idea of soda, of the decline in sales of soda and the decline in sales of alcohol in the month of January and this idea of sharing the risk uh, in the beverage industry. So I just want to give those guys a shout out because this was just an interesting nugget, sharing the risk um, in beverages, because sometimes that's a really unique and interesting partnership concept from two industries that felt like, okay, we took a little slide and there's lots of competition in our respective fields. And so we're going to partner together and come up with something interesting and tap into, in some cases, like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, who have tapped into the idea of the of the little bit of the better for you, but also including the alcohol. So there's lots happening across this space. So for consumers, I want to clarify something. First of all, if there's added sugar on that ingredients list, on that label, then it's typically not better for you. <laughs> Just plain and simple right there just, we can just start there, right? Stealthy, you know, old school version of this, tonic water. That's loaded with sugar, right? Tons of sugar and tonic water. Nothing wrong with you drinking tonic water, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to kind of make the point that when you see sugar in a beverage, that is often the, that's the only indicator that I would be looking for as a dietitian to be able to make a recommendation about something being better for you versus what is the alternative, right? So when it comes to making choices that are, you know, going to reduce the amount of alcohol that you have in a given week, if that's something that you're truly looking to do, right, then I would say your best bet as a consumer is to go with sparkling water, get yourself a festive garnish, lemon, lime, cherries, frozen fruit. The options are endless and add a splash of juice, just a splash. Okay. Let's not get crazy, Jessica, and save your money for something that you'd really much more, you know, that you would enjoy much more than that, like, grenadine dressed up as alcohol-free booze, right? Like, that's not the point. For brands and consumers, I think this trend, the, the sort of lower alcohol or the reducing alcohol idea has tremendous impact or could have tremendous impact, I should say, is in the untapped markets of wine and alcoholic beverages that have yet to realize their own marketing potential. So a couple of examples that I talk about all the time, I mean, if you're anywhere near me, I'm usually ranting about one of these, but like Vino Verde, for example, is Portugal's naturally lower in alcohol and therefore lower in calorie uh, wine. It's going to be lower in calories from added sugar. It's going to have less of an impact on your overall ability to function the next day after you drink it. And because it is naturally lower in alcohol, it makes it that much easier to feel like you have naturally cut back while also consuming a product that is specific to a region of the world that we just simply don't talk about enough because Portugal has some amazing gems and is truly Mediterranean country, you guys, because the Mediterranean is where it all happens from a health standpoint. Um, but the idea is that it's really tapping into the the trend of hyper-regionality in food and beverage, and it's really giving you that experience of getting to travel through taste and through the flavors of what you love and what you enjoy actually consuming. So something to consider right there. Piquette is another one I've recently discovered that's made from the stems. Get this, talk about regenerative people. That's made from the stems, the waste of grapes. Such a cool idea. Naturally lower in alcohol by volume. Again, 
And some of the the kind of standard, not necessarily lower in alcohol uh, wines, of which there are plenty, um, but some of the more interesting flavor profiles that have come up or occurred in more recent vintage years, right, like due to climate change and overall climate profiles of specific regions, I think about... Um, Whenever I get thirsty <laughs> now, ever since my conversation with Laura Di Pasquale, I think about Alto Piemonte anytime I just want a glass of cold white wine. I mean, she made that sound so good, right, guys? Like, if, you've li- if you haven't listened to that episode, it is a must. Um, these really give us something different from the norm, right? And what makes different great beyond the fact that it's different is that it's sometimes something that feels really special or is really delicious with a specific dish makes it that much easier for us to take a moment and slow down and enjoy and savor every sip and really feel like you're traveling through Italy along the way. I think there's something so special to that. There's also plenty of research behind that statement to tell me how how impactful that can be for our overall health and well-being, the spirit of conviviality that is pervasive throughout the Mediterranean diet literature is an important one to think of here. So even if it's not, you know, something that's lower in sugar, something that's lower in alcohol, something that's lower in, I mean, who knows what next, right? Bob, I mean, come on. Like, let's think about what is the intended purpose of this. If it's to enjoy the flavor of whatever it is that you're drinking with your meal and include it as a part of your meal and consider it a part of your meal, then that's really, you know, treating it with the reverence it deserves. And it's also giving you the opportunity to feel just a little bit more like you're in Piedmont truffle hunting like a badass. Okay. All right. Plenty of ways to innovate in packaging form or in distribution form, um, especially in, you know, in packaging in ways in and in areas where distribution is not already happening. Like, I, I mean, honestly, for crying out loud, why is there no Vino Verde in a can yet? Like, let's can it in Portugal. Bring it over. Let's import it. Who's going to do that with me, guys? It's 2022. I've been waiting for you to come find me. Come find me. Call me. (laughs) I'd like to be able to say, call me in Portuguese, but I've not really. I don't know it. I wish I did. I would Google it right now, but I'm not going to have you hold while I do that. Okay. All right. So in sum, wherever there is not an opportunity already or where there isn't something that is happening in the space of alcohol, of wine, spirits, alcbev, as as the kids say, um, then I think there's really something in the magic of playing with packaging, uh, reconsidering the design, reconsidering the idea behind better for you. What does it actually mean? If it really means lower in sugar and more transparency of where you're getting that product from, uh, whether that is convenience, like the wine in a can trend that is no longer a trend, it's really here to stay. Like that packaging is powerful for a reason because cans make it easier to both naturally portion control how much wine you're having, but they also make it easier and more convenient to bring wine with you somewhere very often, right? And share it among others and have it be individually kind of able to serve. There's lots of different packaging innovations that speak to convenience now, but I think there's plenty more to come. So something to really think about there. Where is it coming from? What's the transparency factor? How does this help recreate a moment that is special for someone? And what's not currently in distribution in the United States in a more widespread way that where we know that there's already a consumer need and consumer interest, something to think about moving into 2022 and beyond. All right, let's get into our next trend, which is the dining experience. Lux, flexible, immersive, and connective. Ooh, I really went wild with those words, didn't I? <laughs> so let me make a kind of bold statement right off the bat and say that, you know, while we talked about this quite a bit on the first RD roundtable with Samantha Cassidy and Maya Feller, my theory still holds, which is that for a great meal and a great night out, it's really, you've got to have a great experience start to finish, but let's not forget about the product, right? Because everything else is bells and whistles. It's marketing, but the product itself, as in the meal itself had better be, you know, an A game. <laughs> you better be an all-star cast right? You've got, you better have Brad Pitt in your ingredients. I mean, I don't know why I just said that, but it just came to mind. In other words, this has to be something that I can't make better 
for myself at home. And if you're thinking to yourself, Jackie, I don't know what you make well. <laughs> well, I get that. But if you're listening and if you've ever had a meal with me, then like, let's just use this framework for one second, right? This theory in action. I always, if I go to a seafood or, or anywhere that serves great seafood, basically if I'm by the ocean, <laughs> if I'm by a river, a creek, I always order from the raw bar. And the reason for that is because I cannot safely do this for myself. I just don't trust myself to get some shucked oysters, raw, piquito oyster, whatever it is, West Coast, East Coast, who cares? Is kumamato an oyster? Is that a tomato? Now I'm just talking to myself. Yes, still in my childhood bedroom. Um, But let let me just clarify, right? Like the idea is that if I can get something that is very simply prepared and in its highest possible quality, like raw bar, or I just recently had a salad that is, I mean, I I have to laugh at myself as I say that because a salad rarely sounds that exciting, but this was the most exciting salad I've ever had at the Bell Harbor Grill in Miami, Florida. And it's phenomenal. I, I don't know what is in there. It feels like it's crack cocaine. It's phenomenal. Every bite is different, you guys. Every bite. I mean, you know how I love that. You know how I love that, Sally. Okay. So on a more day-to-day basis, this is where I think there's something happening in a really exciting way. And it also actually speaks to my point about inflation too. There is some really creative stuff happening in that top half, in the top third, really, of the restaurant menu. Salads, antipasti, vegetables, people. Vegetables. Remember, we can afford them now. First of all, remember that often these are the items that are made fresh, They're prepared and shipped cold if you're ordering in. So they're not arriving at your doorstep as like a foodborne illness risk waiting to happen or like just ruined from the transport process. And this may be totally anecdotal, but I do feel like I am not alone. That was not a one-off at the Bell Harbor Grill in Miami, Florida. Salad options are getting wild and in a fun way. I mean, if you haven't tried a salad with an olive or a peanut, what are you doing? What are you doing? Peter, it's 2022. It's time. It's time to try it. Um, And I say that because I just think the idea of something that is slightly more elevated, that is flexible to where you physically are when you're ordering that meal, right? Because a lot of what I'm seeing in, you know, across different content platforms and in different spaces is this idea of being able to have a luxe experience, whether you're dining in or out. And I think that's critical. I mean, you know, it comes back to the Peloton point that, that we spoke about before which is this idea of having a great experience at home, but you want to be able to hit more than one note. So that's where the flexibility, customization, and how can you facilitate connectedness with those who you're dining with and for for brands, for restaurants, with those who you want to bring in to your restaurant to share a meal with you, right? So what kind of vibe are you essentially facilitating? Whether that's a small dinner party at home, whether that's restaurant or local restaurant or chain restaurant packages that are you know, made to go. How can we can reconsider this and reimagine it for 2022 and beyond? And certainly those services that we talked about earlier, like Postmates, Caviar, DoorDash, Uber Eats, like this is your moment. I mean, customization really need look no further than I, you know, I think about, was it 2020 or 2021 that Chipotle did the Tinks Bowl, which totally killed it and and kind of changed the game in the QSR category. And beyond that, I think let's just take a step back from using an influencer's meal as a special promo for a second, because I think that's an amazing idea. And I think she's amazing. I just, you know, I mean, like who in their thirties does not have a girl crush on tanks, but let's just think about what customization actually means. Looking at what makes the experience of dining out or ordering in that much more awesome than making that meal at home. So do you have an ingredient that only you can grow in some amazing hydroponic garden situation that you have in the back of your restaurant? Or do you do you do takeout in glorious packaging that's sustainable and regenerative and basically a cow, you know, had a poop and made this packaging and now it's going back into the soil? I mean, I've really gone wild now, but, you know, you understand where I'm coming from here. Like I just had a meal. I ordered a meal that basically cost me my life savings from St. Ambrose here in New York City. Just thinking about it, I think takes a couple dollars out of my bank account. Uh, but the packaging was so great, you know, beyond the fact that the way that the meal itself, the food itself was served, it was also done in a way that was clearly an environmentally friendly package. It was also made sure that ingredients that would make something otherwise soggy were kept separate 
from, you know, like a cold ingredient. And I, I, you know, that sounds really basic and silly, but when you think about it, that's not often the experience you get when you're ordering takeout or trying to do pickup from somewhere. So having those small nuances that make something slightly more elevated and feel more luxe to the consumer uh, are really important right now because it just makes us feel a little bit more like we're having a great, more elevated experience than we would otherwise. And it makes you feel like your, your dollar is taking you further. Another thing I'm seeing more of, and Aisha Nurjaya called this out, um, and I think that was in, I want to say episode two, might have been three, but definitely one of my favorites if you have not listened to that one yet. But I, this is definitely increasingly more of a thing, and I think we're only going to continue to see more of it, especially as we you know, kind of experience a little reemergence here from the last two years, which is the ability to customize every single bite you take with multiple dips, multiple sauces, condiments, flavors, spices, and frankly, again, vegetables that make the experience more satisfying and just more fun to do with friends and family. Anything that makes the experience of dining more artistically creative and more seasonally adaptive is, I mean, we're all here for that. And we're all here for that connection that we've all been craving a little bit more of. So really, really one of my favorite trends that I think we're going to see just explode, particularly as the weather warms up in springtime and summertime this year. Okay, let us move on to our next trend, which is double duty appliances that maximize space, save time and improve design. So I have been thinking a lot about this as someone who is moving, right? Because I am currently, yes, let me say it again, folks. Here I am in my childhood bedroom, (laughs) still recording, recording this episode from my childhood bedroom. And my point with this is that so often, A lot of us are forgetting sometimes when we make a move, like a big purchase, um, not not in a housing, not a housing move. When we make a big purchase from a kitchen appliance, we think that we're going to suddenly become someone that we are not currently. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Right? Like, let's just take the air fryer for one second. Anyone bought an air fryer and you were like, where where the fuck am I going to put this? What, what is this? It's like, you don't recognize yourself. You're like, what, who did I think I was when I bought this? I mean, I have had that experience sadly more than once. So I, I always, I always kind of bring this back both for brands, consumers, for all of us, consider your lifestyle first before you take action on any kitchen appliance and consider your space, right? What do you currently make most often? You know, most days of the week, what do you currently use most often in your kitchen and how can you apply what you know that you already like, right, to inform decisions that you make to try something new. So using this example from my own life, many of you know, I'm currently a nomad in the process of moving. And as part of the kind of apartment clean out in order to get out of my old apartment and into a new one, I ditched this hair fryer because I just wasn't fucking seeing the value in the space that it was taking up. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that offends you, but it's just too much space. I love vegetables. I love toast. So in my new, hopefully soon, hopefully soon I will have a new home. In my new kitchen, I will be looking for brands, for products that do double or even, dare I say, triple duty. And that has lots, you know, that what gives me my space back. I think, you know, I've said this a lot when it comes to food products. And I've said this when speaking to organizations or to groups that that really anything that benefits all of us by giving us that time or that energy or that bandwidth or that money back that we would have had to use somewhere otherwise, right? That's a move that's powerful. That's something that's a move to make, right? For lots of different food brands out there. But for appliances, I think this is the next generation of what, and what we're certainly already seeing in the space, right? If you don't have very much countertop space, it's going to be hard for you to store an air fryer and let's say a toaster, just for example, right? So things that can both function as a a multitasker, but also do more than one thing that are um, seamless and help you kind of seamlessly connect or seamlessly use and integrate and integrate to your lifestyle. So in other words, do these products work to your specifications? And by specifications, I really mean like, is your toaster fucking toasting the bread? Or is it just, I mean, is it just look like it's taking all day to, to do a little rotisserie chicken, but actually you put the toast in there, right? So these are, these are considerations. It's got to work first and foremost, but it also has to be something that meets your space and design demands. 
demands and that maximizes the time and the energy and the bandwidth that you have to spend on putting food that is nutritious on the table for you and for your family. Bottom line. Okay. You've heard me talk about water, the combo of like gifting a nice water bottle with the Apple AirTags. That was my go-to for the holiday season this last year. Um, Or all-in-one items that like the things that do it all for you, like the Ninja Hut, which is basically a whole kitchen in one appliance. It is too big for a New York City apartment. I'm just saying, but it probably might work for you, Camille, right? Like if you live in a place that has a normal size kitchen, (laughs) it may work for you. But these different, you know, the idea that we are living and working in different places is, I think, to some extent gone, right? Like we may be out of our homes all the time throughout the course of 2022 and beyond. And especially that's true, depending on where you live, it may be different. But I think we have to reimagine our home as our sort of do everything place. And the pandemic really enforced that notion in all of us is that we just want things that make our lives easier, but also more special, more fun, and that work well, and that work well for us and for our preferences and our needs. I think that that's going to be critical, both for brands, for consumers who are shopping online. Really important to always make sure that you are looking for products that you trust, that have ton, that have reviews that you trust, and and are able to count on both the science behind what, what works for something, right? Like what what is the actual technicality or the specification on something but also what is the what are the design specifications and what how is it going to make your lifestyle more seamless okay let's move on to oh, we're getting down to the end here guys all right for swiping up for global food culture with spices, sauces, and regional specialties. This is probably one of my favorite trends to look forward to both right now and in the future. I think TikTok's massive 2020 and 2021 growth and influence is like a global gateway from your couch. Since it often seems like new recipes from around the world are coming in hot to anyone and everyone's feed in 2022, I can only anticipate that we will expect to see and taste and try new dishes that have gone viral from the platform basically all day, every day. And that's tremendous opportunity for anyone and everyone, right? Consumers, brands, all of us to get out of our own comfort zones in very small, minute ways that also help us choose more nutritious options, right? It can help us by surprising us in using ingredients that are new to us or trying cuisines we haven't previously been familiar with or introduced to or hyper-regional flavors or dishes, ingredients, seasonal staples, right? Anything that helps us learn something new without leaving the house, I think we've really seen the value in that. But it, it again, remember that we can't pigeonhole ourselves into that, but the idea of being able to draw inspiration from wherever you are on your phone is huge. I am personally looking at, you know, I think it's so interesting and many Many of you may have seen this. The New York Times did Dalgona Candy right after Squid Games came out on Netflix. And I thought that was brilliant. Uh, they developed a recipe for that. And I just, you know, I love something that is inspired by culture and happens then in a content platform and then you can make it home. You know, I I was looking back at some of our episodes here for on the side, and I was thinking in the Laura episode, Laura De Pasquale, she mentioned Huckleberry that she found in Montana, the Huckleberry season over the summer. I also, again, have to give a shout out to Portugal for their canned sardines this time, because I, I think, again, a staple that can stay in your pantry for years, literally years, but is also one of the most nutritious foods on the planet. Brilliant right? Like having these things and these ways of traveling through the flavor that we use in our meals and snacks is amazing. But there's also, you know, these kind of trendier dishes that I that I think are, we're going to see more of in 2022 and are more of the up and coming, you know, we haven't previously been exposed to these types of cuisine specialties or spice specialties or seasonal specialties. But that now that we have social media at our fingertips, we have the ability to, to literally be able to understand what laksa noodle soup is from Malaysia or jollof is from Nigeria. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of both of those, but this is an endless source of drawing inspiration, whether it is on social media or it's just simply in your knowledge of a cuisine or a spice or a plant that you'd like to use in certain dishes. Um, I think we definitely heard this from Eric Wong uh, from his episode both with the myriad options at the supermarket and in restaurants, and certainly in Aisha Nurjaya's episode about Chiquette, um, there's just so many ways to include new ingredients into our meals and snacks. And however 
Remember, we always bring it back to this, guys. However, in whatever capacity, we can include more produce more often in our meals and snacks. Already a win right there. So for consumers, including new items with real whole foods that you're already familiar with, easily the simplest place to start. And it's often my best advice when I'm working with kids and with kids and parents to try new things, right? I give the example of like, rice and cauliflower rice, right? Combining those two things, exploring new flavors or new ingredients by using something familiar is really comforting. And it really feels less scary and intimidating for everyone involved, right? So where I'm seeing this in an exciting way is is the exploration of the entire spice rack, spice aisle. Oh my God, the word aisle really left my brain there for a second at your local supermarket. And I used the example and I, I put this up on the YouTube channel, Trader Joe's Spice Blends and Gift Box. I think this is brilliant. There is something in there for everyone, you guys. There's the everything but the bagel spice. There is the different types of cayenne pepper. There's something that goes on top of your movie popcorn, whatever you're making at home. I just love the idea of customization through spices, sauces, and whatever is special to a region or a cuisine or an area of the world that is unique, that gives you something that you've never tried, that you've never experienced. I think we need to take these opportunities to learn about something we might really love um, and learn about one another through the foods that we choose, right? For brands, I think looking no further than the hot sauce aisle for inspiration on how to innovate and grow and distribute in a category without changing a product at its core, McCormick's distribution engine is on fire. And I mean that both literally and somewhat figuratively here. (laughs) I couldn't help it. Here's what I love about the topic, right? The innovation's not wacky. It's peppers. It's peppers, people. It's different types of peppers, though. Different types of peppers grown around the world. And that's key, right? Because any type of flavor enhancer, whether it's a spice, a sauce, different way of using an ingredient like avocado or nuts, all of these things are tools that help other people to naturally and seamlessly customize your own experience of something and make it personal to you and your lifestyle. And from a brand standpoint, that is the sort of gateway to growth, right? How can we expand and enhance and make something more elevated and feel like it's more of a personal experience? Or how can we make someone's life easier? And that's bottom line where it all starts. So in the case of McCormick, that distribution engine and their continued growth really just means that, you know, taking different brands of different types of hot sauce that, you know, range on how spicy they are or range on the type of pepper that they're using and the region of the world from which they come from, from which they originate, that's huge. And it really brings us closer together if, you know, if we take the time and we take a moment to just look for it, right? It it gives us the opportunity to learn about one another. So I think that's really an important lesson and something to just kind of look for is how can we innovate, even if it's just using acquisition as the way to innovate by enhancing and optimizing the distribution platform, right? Like the the entire engine of distribution that happens um, among food products to get into the supermarket. So that's critical, really fascinating, really um, lots of interesting stuff on that topic. And I think we're going to continue to see more of that. Let me just wrap it up by saying this. Redefining healthy in our pandemic re-emergent universe, right, in our current world is Defining on a personal level, whether you are a brand or a consumer, or you're looking to innovate your own brand, or you're looking to up-level your personal wellness goals, redefining healthy as what does holistic health really mean, right? Not the bullshit version of holistic health, but what does it mean to prioritize our personally defined definitions of physical, emotional, psychological, and mental health in ways that work best for you? What does that mean? I'm here for that right? Like I'm here for you if you have questions, if there's anything that you need, but I think we all need to take a step back and think about what does it mean to prioritize health physically, emotionally, psychologically, and mental health. These are critical questions to ask ourselves and one another when we're considering the direction in which we want to take a step forward in 2022. And I think that is true across the board for brands, for all of us who are consumers of products um, around the world, and certainly here in the US, this is critical. We all know that the isolation and loneliness has been a huge has taken its real toll on so many of us over the last two years. And I think we're experiencing that and living that in so many different ways and it's showing up in different ways. So any way that we can find ways to form connections, 
through food. You guys know I'm so here for that. All right. So for now, I will leave you with those trends. I will link anything I told you I would link in our show notes. And I can't wait to hear from you. Please, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you learned something from this episode, if there's someone that you want to share this episode with, I would just give you a virtual hug through my little microphone right now. I'm not going to hit it, but I am going to hug you. Please share it. Share it with someone who you think could learn something from today's episode or who could feel just a little bit more like themselves getting started on a personal journey of better holistic health, starting with each meal, each snack, one meal or snack at a time. Um, Let's prioritize connectedness and connection and elevating the experience of sharing food with one another. All right. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I'm here for you. Again, DM me at JacquelineLondonRD, and I can't wait to hear from you soon. See you next week for our regularly scheduled programming. And until then, cheers. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at JacquelineLondonRD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.